welcome to episode 15 of the Analytics FC podcast. Uh, as usual, I'm joined by Sam Gregory, and this week's guest is Michael Cayley. So, Michael, just a bit of your background. You're a writer for the Washington Post, um, the Spurs SB Nation page that I can't remember the name of, uh, <laughs> among various other sites. Why don't you give us a bit more, of, uh, bit more background about yourself? Yeah, yeah. So I also write for uh, ESPN and for uh, World Soccer Talk. I've been trying to, you know, get more writing out there. Um, I'm an American soccer fan, obviously. Um, got in, I really got into the game not that many years ago. I'd played it as a kid, um, obviously, and I always liked it. But I started to get into it um, around the time of the uh, – t- around, around 2010, sort of in preparation for the World Cup, started to really – watch in, in Europe, and it just blew my mind that there weren't numbers. I'm a huge baseball fan, and I was sort of used to, like, the fan graphs, baseball reference kind of style of fandom where absolutely anything you want to see, you just go to a website, and you can find it, and you can break it down by, like, the left, left-handed, right-handed pitcher splits by fastballs and curveballs, and I couldn't even find how many shots on target a team had conceded. And so I started to want to find the data. And once you start to find the data, you start to work with the data, or at least you do if you're a big nerd. And that was sort of how I started do- doing this and find, and then sort of from there finding the community and trying to join in. And so what we wanted to focus on today, which has been probably what you're most well-known for in the analytics community, is your expected goal model, which is probably the most comprehensive expected goal model that's out there publicly. So can you just introduce what expected goals are and what we use them for? Sure. So um, what expected goals are is it's an attempt to measure some it's, – it's, it's a complex mathematical model. But what it's trying to measure I think is something pretty intuitive. It's trying to measure chance creation. It's trying to measure what are those times when you're watching a football game and you go, oh, there's going to be a goal. Because there's been a pass into the right kind of area. A player has taken a shot on a counterattack. You know, um, the key, someone's dribbled by their defender and gotten into a good space to shoot. And so it's trying to find a way to quantify that. Um, what it, it, so it, it, this, in a sense, it's sort of moving beyond simple statistical, simpler statistical models, which make use of just raw shots or raw shots on target. Um, and then trying to instead give sort of a value to each chance created in each shot. Um, one of the reasons that I think that expected goals has more going for it, one is that intuitive quality, and two, it doesn't necessarily have to be bound to shots in the same way. I think that the idea of expected goals is one that has sort of salience when you're working with passes, when you're working with defensive actions. It's a way of sort of thinking about the game that I think fits with the way that people watch the game, fits with a lot of ways that people coach the game, and hopefully can give us sort of better models of what is happening in a football match. So obviously, like you said, uh, an expected goals model is a very complex uh, mathematical model and obviously takes uh, a lot of work to create one. Um, my question is sort of why, why go to all that work just to create something that uh, obviously is, is a public model now and, and a lot of people are likely to use, but what's the sort of drive from yourself to put all that work in? Uh, something that, you know, unless you're in the stats community, it's something not many people are going to... Uh, care about as bluntly as that sounds. Yeah, no, we're 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 diving deep into my uh, my actor's pain here. Um, <laughs> no, I mean I I think that uh, I like building things. I like making interesting things that work, and I like sharing them. Um, you know, in in my in my my other life, I'm a teacher. I have I I, I teach actually in the humanities and the study of religion. Um, 
one of the ways I got into doing soccer stats is because I wasn't getting a tenure track job in my other in my other world. And so it's it, for me, it functions as kind of a teaching mechanism. It's a way of learning more about the game, which I really like. I like sort of putting my, myself into it, and it allows me to do writing and teaching and trying to work and trying to sort of help people see and learn interesting things about the games. That's sort of my my goal in what I'm writing and what I'm working on. Um, it also become it also becomes sort of a game. You know, I, I can learn a bit more of this programming language. I can go through the data and try to find this. I can watch, you know, highlight show after highlight show and try to see what's going on in chance creation. And sort of it's so it's fun too. Um, those would be the, the things. So usually on this podcast we've stayed sort of away from the technical side of analytics, but your most recent piece was super, super technical. You got into all the little details of each individual model. So can you just give us sort of a brief overview of what's new and what's different in the most recent expected goals model? Sure. So um, the, you know, let's just start with jargon. Um, So it works. I built it from a logistic regression. Um, Basically what that is, is it's, it's a way of creating a model that tries to predict if something's going to be either a zero or a one. One of the things we use it for is if you're trying to model elections, Someone's either going to vote for somebody or they're going to vote for the – in like a two-party system. They're going to vote for one person. They're going to vote for the other person. So it's either one or zero. And logistic regression is for a model that does this. So it doesn't allow you to have an expected goals of like negative 2.5 for a shot or plus 1.6. It always is between zero and one. So that's sort of the, the, the central thing. And then what's in it, um, the big things are the – angle to goal and the distance to goal, the biggest drivers of whether – of the quality of a chance, quality, the likelihood of a shot being scored is how close the player is to goal and how straight on to goal they are when it happens. And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff which basically is trying to take that. And obviously, you know, if you're 15 yards out but you're not defended, that's a way better shot than if you're 11 yards out and you have two defenders on you. So trying to find ways to model – in the data, and the Opta data that I use doesn't have defender location. So I try to find markers that, that indicate whether the defenders are there. For instance, like the, the kind of pass that assisted the shot. A through ball is a pass that, that, that immediately eliminates defenders from play. It's a pass that puts someone behind the defense. That's going to lead to a higher expected goals because it's eliminated those defenders. A player, so the, the shot assist is a big one. Um, where the shot assist came from, if you, sort of like, a, like in a tiki-taka system, when uh, Lionel Messi drops off a pass when he's already about 13 yards from goal, it's almost certainly going to eliminate those defenders who were on him, create a better chance for Suarez when he picks up the, goal, the ball to score. So that's another thing. Um, there are things like whether someone dribbles before the shot. That, again, eliminates a defender. There are things that are coded by Opta as big chances, those are situations where the defense must have fallen off for it to be somewhere where it's like someone's likely to score. And then there's the type of play. If you're, if you're counterattacking, moving at pace in, against a defense that isn't set, um, you're more likely to be able to be undefended, have a good chance. So I, I try to model from the attacking move whether sort of it's been moving forward at pace from a turnover and hasn't recycled, that tells me that what's going on is or at least looks like a counterattack. It's more likely to create a good chance. So those are some of the big things that are in the model as it stands. Um, and in this new model as well, you've got, uh, I think it's six different models for types of attacks. So like shots yes. and free kicks, 
uh, shots from a dribble from the keeper uh, among just two of the six. Um, why why are that in there? What what does that add to the model overall? So um, so the, the big four here are um, are whether a shot is assisted by a cross or not, and whether a shot is headed or not, or play or or hit with another body part. So that creates four. You know, cross cross to a header, cross to not a header. Not across to to a header, not across to not a header, or that latter being regular shots. Um, and the big thing with those four is that the curve is different. What I mean by that is that the is that how the, the, the how far you are from goal. It's not just that when you take a take a shot with a you know with a, with your head assisted by a cross. It's not just harder. It's harder in a different way than a regular shot. Um, what, the, what this means is that, you know, if you're right up in front of goal, this is going to be a very, very good chance, a lot like a lot of other shots. But if once you're 5, 10, and once you're 15 yards from goal, it's almost impossible. I mean, the, 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 the shot that uh, Christian Benteke scored against Southampton is one of those really low expected goal shots where I feel like expected goals got it right. That was just an amazing piece of work by Christian Benteke. Usually when you're that far away and you're not like completely undefended, that's a really, really hard thing to do. So because the curve ends up being different, the relationship between uh, the, 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 the distance and the angle and the likelihood of scoring, um, that's why I separate those out. Um, and then the other two, you know, I, I mean, a, a, a direct free kick is just a completely different kind of action. Um, it doesn't really have that much in common with other kinds of football actions other than, I mean, I, I, really, it doesn't have that much in common with other kinds of football actions. And then the, the six one shots following a dribble of the keeper, those are just super weird because there isn't a defense there. Um, and that's a small number, but it allows me to make sure that if, if a player dribbles the keeper and he's 15 yards out, my model knows to say, this is a super good chance. Don't care these 15 yards out. Another thing I found interesting in this model is that you included league dummies or mm-hmm. in the regression, you have dummies for different leagues. And the idea of like expected goals is this universal thing that exists as a sort of proxy for chance quality in football. Doesn't this, isn't there sort of a tension here between expected goals being this universal thing that's the same across the whole sport and then including these league coefficients which are just the fact that different players in different environments have different outcomes i guess or is this something that you think is worth dividing up i'm i'm really torn on this i i i chose to use them um because some of it is clearly very real um but it is some of them are hard to justify and it, it this was a decision in model building, which I went back and forth on and um, decided to go for it. The, I mean, there are some things that are, you know, there are, I think, and that we can see this in a number of other ways, real cultural differences between football leagues. You know, if you watch an Italian game, you know you're watching an Italian game. You know you're not watching an English game or a German game. Um, so something's going on there. It's obviously, you know, that's, a, that's generalized and there are, you know, Italian games that look more English than, you know, certain English games. And so it's not to be certain, but there's something going on there. And one of the big things I've, I, I've found from an early phase of working with this data is that dudes just score more goals in the Bundesliga. Um, watching Bundesliga games, defending is somewhat more optional sometimes <laughs> in the Bundesliga, I think, than in other leagues. You certainly see this with the Eredivis- Eredivisie. Um, so 
you know, there's a strong tendency in the English game to just put the ball up there and try to head it in. So this means that people are people choose to take shots in England, I think, that they often wouldn't take in other leagues. You wouldn't have that sort of just put it up there and hope the big guy can head it in. It's a very... Um, so, you know, shots from some headers off crosses are scored less in England because people just try them so much, even in bad situations. So there are real things going on, but I think that your critique is, is totally fair, um, that exactly how one settles on picking the which um, league differences matter and which league differences should be modeled, which league differences um, is a complicated question. I'm not necessarily happy with my choice to include them. Um, I go back and forth. And with this latest model, is there any bias towards specific types of teams? So teams that play, I guess like you said, in German German football, you say it might have um, Bayer Leverkusen that take a high number of shots. Does it sort of, is that weighted in the model for them to score? You know, are they constantly overperforming or underperforming just because of the volume of their shots? Or, or you know, an example like that where there's a, a bias towards a specific playing style in the model? Yeah, um, I'm not 100% sure. This this is the sort of thing. These are things that are still very much, you know, work to be done. There's so much out there that isn't being, hasn't been done in analytics. Um, I do wonder, I think when when Gab Marcotti was on your podcast, he was talking about sort of styles of playing with a lead. I'm really interested in the ways in which sort of tactical choices play into chance creation. Um, and whether teams that tend – one thing I do, I do wonder is whether teams that play at a very high speed, um, there does seem to be something where high-pressing teams um, do tend to create more expected goals. Not necessarily that they overperform – that they underperform their expected goals. Uh, Dortmund sort of has been you know, relatively at par in its expected goals, a little bit over and then suddenly horribly under once. Um, so it's not that it's missing by a lot, but I do wonder if it's overrating those teams a little bit and underrating perhaps teams that play more slowly. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I haven't. Um, it's it's you know the work of figuring out what may, what is the profile of a team and then how that profile matches their expected goals. This is you know it's work I haven't done. It's work I'd like to do. It's work other people could do. Um, certainly open to the. We will expect biases. We will not. This is no model is perfect, and certainly no model in the current world of um, of, of soccer stats is anywhere close to perfect. We expect these biases, but I don't have a good answer for what um, what they are right now. Yeah. So obviously, a lot of people think that sort of we're we're sort of reaching this point in analytics now where there's not much work that can be done currently with just data that we have now, and we sort of need positional data to actually make that next step. Uh, and sort of from the answer you've just given, you, it seems you sort of agree, disagree with that, and there's definitely more that can be done with current data sets or sort of more questions that can be asked with the data we have now. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, th- I mean, I think that, that, that we are there's, – there's no question that um, when, you know, when the revolution comes and people can work publicly with, uh, with, with, sport v- with the sort of sport view equivalent data – um, there'll be amazing things we can do and, and everyone will want to be working with it and doing new things. It's, it's, it'll be a huge breakthrough. So I don't want to undersell that at all, but I think that there is still a ton to be done with the event data. I mean, we're, we're still, you know, there's still not that much out there on 
you know, just player value based on, um, you know, player value based on passes, player value based on dribbles, player value based on running on the ball. You know, there's, there's, you know, late working out sort of tactical styles in different situations, what kinds of passes teams tend to play, where and when they get incompleted, what, what players are in what positions when this happens. These are all um, questions that still need answering. So as a Manchester United fan, I often watch a game and think we played well and then go to your expected goal maps and I'm disappointed by how few expected goals that we put up. And I've noticed there's a couple teams like this. I've written about Gladback in the past, so was Dustin Ward at StatsBomb, how they consistently outperform expected goals both attacking and defensively. Do you think, you mentioned slower play, do you think there's any other reasons that you have certain teams that just always outperform expected goals and is there a way we could control for this in the future? So I don't. I don't have a. Uh, you know, I, I want to sort of. You know, that part part of me is like a little bit. Uh, I want to pull back on that. You know, Gladbach have have a short time of overperforming expected goals. They didn't that much previously. This season, they aren't really overperforming. Um, they were just kind of bad for a little while, and now they're pretty good. Um, you know, uh, peak Ferguson, Man United put up very very good expected goals numbers. Moyes, Man United was pretty mediocre with pretty mediocre numbers. So it's not, you know, 100%. But I do think that, but at the same time, you know, that that's me being like, oh, expected goals, I, I, there, there was something there. But there's, there's no question that there are times and places where something is going weird. I, I Gladbach are, are definitely weird. Um, Von Hall's United, I'm less sure about, but I do think there, there's perhaps something in just how deadly slow he wants them to play that the kinds of shots they're creating aren't popping up necessarily as, uh, as, as perhaps as good chances as they really are. Um, you know, the, you know, the, that, that last Ferguson Man United season, actually I found that my new model is actually liking it a lot more. Um, basically, they created a ton of big chances in a very, very small area right in front of goal that it's only, you know, it, it, and each model I've made has picked it up a little bit better. So in some ways, there's kind of like, you know, making a better model can get you there as well. Um, but I, I, I think that, you know, finding these outliers and working with them is absolutely a big way forward in analytics. And one of the things I've been sort of working on and thinking about is one of the big things I think we need to do is to start describing things better. You know, if we can really describe what it is that Gladbach d- did at least does, or at least did under Favre, that was so odd, what it is that, um, describe better what it is that Man United does, um, and, and just get that on the table. We can really start digging into some of the predictive metrics that aren't quite working with them, but it's a matter of doing that descriptive work well to get there. Can I, sorry, Sam, before you ask the next one, in terms of, uh, you know, cutting into that data and seeing what's happening, does that mean you've got to, you know, you want to watch it with the video or is it just more of a deep dive into the, the numbers themselves? Um, I mean, for me, when I do a team piece, it's always both. Cool. Um, I, I, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I've had, you know, I've, I've, I've had weeks where I had, I had a weekend where I was parenting one of the days and could barely watch the games. And then, um, you know, the other game, we, the day we already had something, something planned. I tried to like fit in a little bit of football, but like trying to write from just the data is, I, I just felt like, I just felt dumb. 
you know, you need to be watching the games and seeing things. And then once you, then you, you watch the games, you pick up like five, ten hypotheses, and then you work with them in the data. Some of them work, some of them don't. The data might present something to you, you know, go, going through and sort of running a few queries might show you something you didn't expect. And then you can go back and watch the game and see if it's showing you something real. And I think it's in that sort of that space in between watching and working with data that these analyses come out. One thing I've always wondered about expected goals is if there's a bit of a self-selection problem in terms of who actually chooses to shoot, to shoot from different locations or in different mm-hmm. chances. I mean, the anecdotally, I don't know if this is true, but what came to mind immediately was Drogba. I know it always shoot from these really, really tight angles and go near post instead of far post and little things like that where the sample you get of the shot sample you get is guys who are really good at shooting from that area so that any old player shooting, any old high-level player shooting from that area might not actually be able to generate as many expected goals as the players who tend to shoot from those areas do? That's a great question. Um, I, I guess I have three responses. One is that, um, that, that selection is a part of any expected goals model. Um, not, I mean, not, I mean to, to sort of abstract a little bit from your Drogba example, those shots from tight angles, if you're a tight angle for goal, you're not going to shoot unless the defense isn't really on you or the keeper isn't really in position or maybe you're Drogba and you're amazing at it. You know, that, that, there, there's, there's a choice going on there. Whereas, you know, if you're in, in the six-yard box, you're ba- for the most part, you're just going to have a go, even if it's not the greatest chance. And so that, what that means is that the relationship of distance and angle to expected goals is not the same that you'd expect. It's not just distance and angle. It's distance and angle. And why would you be shooting from there? There must be a reason. Um, so this is something that, that is sort of baked in. This is why the, the modeling distance and angle gets so messy. Um, then sort of continue on to sort of na- narrow that down to the specific player. Um, I think this is, this is a, a fascinating question. It's one of those things where, you know, the, the, lack, the lack of sample on shots is a really big issue. The number of shots we have in a database taken by one player from a tight angle, you know, maybe Ronaldo's taken 50 of those or a a hundred, I doubt it's a hundred, maybe 50 of those in the last six years. Hardly anyone will have taken more than that. Um, So what can you do with that data? You know, I think you're probably right that there are guys who are amazing at these specific kinds of shots. Lucas Podolski is ridiculous from angles, but the number of shots in the sample is just really hard to do anything with in a generalizable statistical sense. So I had someone think something where I think you're totally right, but I don't know, um, you know, it's one of those places where watching games and making arguments is going to help you understand things that you're not necessarily going to see through a data-driven analysis nearly as well. And there was a couple of caveats that came with your model this week. Um, The biggest one for me was probably how when you look at XG for, for leagues outside the top four big leagues in Europe, say MLS, the, uh, the predictive power of, that, of the expected goals for that league is a lot less, uh, mm-hmm. potentially for League One in France as well, and probably uh, moving away to, say, the smaller leagues in England uh, and obviously Germany, Spain, etc. Do you, do you know or do you have any sort of theories as to why that might be? I, I, ha- I have theories. It's one of those things that sort of, you know, why a model doesn't work is kind of a hard thing to to test exactly, and something that I'm 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 working on. Um, the the 
big one for me is I wonder about uh, talent variance. And, you know, in, in, in the big four leagues, for the most part, you're getting players, you know, the, the, there's not that many players who are really below sort of replacement level. Guys where if, if a team just went out in January and bought up anybody, you know, of reasonable quality from a lower league, they could do better than that. Um, I think that you know, watching a bunch of MLS this summer, one of the things I noticed was just like the bad players are so bad. And I think that what that can lead to is chances being particularly good or particularly bad because the wrong guy was was involved. The wrong guy was defending and, you know, if this jackass is, is, is defending you around the edge of the 18-yard box, you're going to be able to get a good shot off because he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, and these sorts of issues, you know, if so, so you get a, 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 a interaction of the a couple of attacking players, a couple of defensive players as a keeper, and if a couple of them are, you know, what, what do you say, like several standard deviations away in quality, weird things are going to happen in terms of how good that shot is that expected goals is going to struggle to catch pick up. Um, I also wonder about uh, player movement, that players in the lower leagues tend to stay in one place somewhat less, I believe. This could be studied, but I wonder if that's also making predictivity harder to do. Um, you know, and, to, and to what degree then also, if you've got really bad players, does it mean that a team can get much better in a season if they just realize that like the center back they've got on the bench is cromulent and they can just get the terrible one out? That makes the team way better. And you wouldn't know why that happened after 10 games. Suddenly, they started playing better defense. So these are all, you know, I think these are things where there's just more variance going on in those lower leagues. But it's something that needs to be, again, studied more. And something you mentioned there about sort of player quality might be lower. There's no real way that we can factor this in currently, I don't feel, between leagues. So obviously... You have your, you know, your rating systems that say who scored. Can't believe I've said it, but they use. But obviously, even that's not even predictive or useful pulling across leagues. Do you think there's like a gap there for, or there's potentially work there that's not really been highlighted that we need to actually measure how good a player is? Just sort of is he league level, something like goal goal impact style? Because obviously that potentially then could back up your. Uh, you know, the expected goals model in MLS essentially saying, well, the reason that Chicago Fire are producing loads of um, high-quality chances but not scoring them is because their team quality is terrible, something like that. Yep, yep. Or, or like, you know, the, the couple, couple of guys interacting in the wrong way. And, I, I mean, I think that, I mean, something like goal impact, um, you know, my my big project, which I am sort of slowly plugging away at, um, I meant to get it done, I meant to get expected goals done way earlier, this sort of keeps happening, but is attempting to do basically a a similar kind of humongous regression on all, all actions in a game and trying to create some player, some sort of starting player value stats, not based on shots, but on sort of an expected goals model that is based on all of the action. I know Daniel Altman has done a lot of work in this field, some of it private. Um, this stuff that's certainly going on at the team level too. Um, but I think that starting to work on player quality or at least work on sort of player contribution, you know, uh, one, one of the things I've sort of harped on for quite a while is that how many tackles a player had doesn't really tell you whether they're good. It tells you something they did. It's descriptive. It's interesting. But, you know, if we're trying to figure out who's a good central midfielder, 
you know, don't go to a stats person at this at, at this point. We, we don't have, at least in the public domain, really good answers to this question. I'm sure, you know, Altman would be screaming like, I have good answers. So, you know, go, <laughs> go to him. But um, but like, you know, th- these are things that need to be studied more, that need more work. And this is something that I really want to I'm really excited to work on. I, I've you know, the more I watch the games, the more. I become con- more and more convinced that like what's happening in the center of the park is driving so many outcomes. And to be, I, I want to be able to say interesting things about that with data and with numbers and not just with me saying like, oh, my God, you guys, Eric Dyer is so good and Ryan Mason and Nabil Bentaleb are so bad. You know, I want to be able to say, you know, and I think this is I think Mike Goodman said this on your podcast that what people just want is, you know, not proof. Just data and argument. I want to be able to say more about what's going on in central midfield, and putting value on the things that happen. I think is the way is the way forward there. This is a bit more of a meta question than an expected goals question, but do you think that's sort of part of the problem, or part of the reason that analytics has gotten a bad rap is because we don't have a lot of answers that we might assume or portray that we do, like our center midfield, certain center midfielders better than others, or our center backs comparing center backs things like that (laughs) things that we have no answers for that we sort of sometimes say we have answers for is one of the problems um i mean i mean i i I think that there's no question that that it's it's reasonably good to be reasonably modest about what we can do i i i I try very hard to sort of keep that model when i'm talking to people about what i do recognizing all of the things that we can't do and recognizing, you know, that, that just the, the the dynamism of football, the degree to which it's not a game of discrete actions, makes doing statistics with it really exciting, really fun. But it also means that you know, there's tons of things that we're not seeing. And I think that there is definitely um, there are tendencies out there, and I think that there this was true more true longer ago than it is true of analysts now. I think that people would make larger claims than they could back up. You know, you look at um, the, the, that, that sort of less final season of Ferguson's Manchester United, and the better we get at analyzing teams with data, the better that team looks. I, I found this sort of over and over again. And so, you know, this is one of the markers why it's good to be modest, to recognize that what we know now might not be what we know in a few years. Um, and try to learn more. So I think it's it's a good thing for analysts to do. At the same time, you know, we also want to you know sell what we can do that's interesting. And, and there's a there's a there's a there's an ethics to that practice. There's a you know what is the best way to pitch the things that I do well as things that we can really do with these numbers without making other kinds of claims. And I think you know we're getting better at that. We're getting better at talking in the public domain about it. You know, behind expected goals, the stat we probably hear the most in the quote-unquote analytics community, I guess, would be TSR, which is total shots ratio. And in hockey, a lot of people, I think it's that argument is going away, but a lot of people still say that shot quality is not a thing and that that people say Corsi is better than any expected goals model in hockey because shot quality is just something that's completely random. We have enough data to like fully put this to bed in soccer, right? Oh, yeah. Like I mean, and one thing I've also written about recently, and this was in the the big article, is that, and I, th- I think Mike Goodman wrote an article about this back back when he was a blogger. Um, he he wrote he wrote a piece about how um, TSR 
sort of works in the Premier League because people the premier, people in the Premier League play a version of football that's kind of hockey-ish, where the way that you're trying to get and collect shots is makes the game sort of look statistically a bit more like hockey. It's still, you know, it's it's still not hockey, and TSR works much less well in in football. Um, I don't I don't know hockey data very well. My understanding is it works better in hockey than it does in football. But uh, you move to the continent, you move to Germany, Italy, Spain, TSR is um, really not particularly useful because there's a much greater focus on shot quality, on creating a better chance and, pre- and preventing good chances while conceding. Yeah, you go shoot from there. We don't care is something that I think you'll see defenses that pack in. Um, Atletico Madrid was amazing for that, conceding possessions, conceding shots from poor areas and knowing that, 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 that Courtois or Oblak would h- handle whatever is thrown at him from 30 yards. You know, these are choices that get made that make TSR really not work. And you see those choices being made more in the continent. They also don't really work as well in England, but it's, it's, it's sort of somewhat peculiar to England that it works reasonably well. Going back to sort of more the results of this uh, latest uh, expected goals model, um, what major or major-ish predictions does the current model have for the rest of the Premier League season? I guess in terms of top four slash six and uh, relegation candidates. Yep. I mean, I, th- I think that the, 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 the places where the model is sort of staking a claim are in North London, both that uh, Arsenal, and I've got an article that's in draft right now coming out soon, Arsenal are playing like title contenders. Arsenal are playing really, really good football. Um, their attack is just ridiculous right now. It's going over Alexis Sanchez's stats, and he's got, he's, you know, he's played in, in, in 10 matches. He not played the first game. He's only got played nine matches. I've got him with about, um, I think, six, about six and a half expected goals and, and three and a half expected assists. These, these are like messy level numbers. They're insane. Um, and their defense has been getting has been better and better ever since they you know came up with the idea of playing a defensive midfielder, and so they look really good. Um, they look like title contenders. I think City are still the best team, but if City stumble and we've we've seen them be very capable of stumbling, especially when injuries hit, um, I think that opens up the door, especially to Arsenal, for a surprise run. Um, the other North London team, Tottenham have, uh, you know, they started the season, you know, Harry Kane has been lacking confidence. They haven't been converting chances. Suddenly now Harry Kane has confidence. I'm so happy that, uh, you know, that, that, that predictive, that predictive stat has, has been fixed. Um, and there, you know, the, the team is, I mean, and I, I, I'm a Spurs fan. I watch them every week. It's amazing what's happened to that team that they are, they're now executing Mauricio Pochettino's press, which is very much, a sort of, it's, 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 it's definitely a counter press in sort of the, you know, Bielsa through Klopp model, but it's also a much more, def- it's a somewhat more defensive press. It's, it's got a little bit of uh, Von Hall's press where there's, 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 there's a matter of really being careful that you're not prevent, pre- that, that you're stopping deep possession and the pressing triggers are really structured around really stopping opposition attacks and Spurs are doing that really, really well. It's a total transformation of the team, and the expected goals numbers are putting them right in the top four mix right now. So um, both the North London teams look good. Arsenal certainly better than Spurs, but in terms of sort of, you know, what they can achieve to, I think both teams could be reaching their sort of reasonable upside for the season this year. And can you tell us anything interesting about the other end of the table? Who do you, who does your model not like to stay up this year? 
It's it's hard. Um, you know, it's a big muddle down there. Sunderland stats are terrible. Um, Sunderland stats are very very bad. Um, but then you know you've got a team like Newcastle who have very poor numbers, um, but they also have they also were not nearly this bad last for for, for like the, the combined season last year. The you know their 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 payroll is 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 relatively high because the players they have are pretty good, and so it's hard for me to put that much weight right now on Newcastle being a um, being a, a relegation candidate, even though their early season expected goals numbers are quite poor. Um, you know, Burnmouth looks bad. Burnmouth look like a team that just doesn't have the quality to stay in the league. Their attack is um, is really toothless. Um, but these things can change at the bottom of the league so quickly. I, I, I'm hesitant to say too much after 10 weeks. Definitely when it comes to, say, Bournemouth again, it's quite funny how... I think during the championship last year, the team's not really changed that much and the players they have brought in uh, and the, sort of the best player I'd say in Callum Wilson's obviously now injured. How useful yep. something we've like we just discussed, how like a, a team quality or strength uh, sort of metric would be because they're, they're playing, you know, bit part players now um, and potentially not all of them are Premier League quality. Some are very, you know, Matt Ritchie is a very good player. Uh, Simon Francis yep. has got a really interesting game about him where he just sort of, wanders forward and essentially playing as a second winger at times on the right-hand side. Um, yep. But it's just, do you think, so obviously your model thinks they're not doing great. Is there anything factored into that or, or any thinking where, you know, you could evaluate team strength potentially in January, how things change in that transfer window coming into sort of the second half of the season to recalibrate it, I guess? Yeah, so um, th- these are these are things that... Uh, there's no question, sort of short answer, there, there's no question that if we could evaluate players better on a sort of individual level, we could model the game better. I think there's, that we, we could predict better. I think there's no question about that. Um, but getting to that point where we're able to say, you know, this guy that this guy is coming up from the championship and is playing um, center back for Burnmouth, this isn't a Premier League level player, but Matt Ritchie, Simon Francis, Colin Wilson, um, these guys are Premier League level players. That is, you know, I at least am still relatively far from feeling feeling confident that I can make calls like that. Um, it's definitely something that would make any model better, and people who and 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 something I hope to have in mind, something that I hope to see other people doing that I can learn from. Moving on to some of the questions we got from Twitter this week, one thing that came up a couple times was uh, looking at goalkeepers and expected goals and the idea of expected save percentage and metrics like that using expected goals to evaluate goalkeepers. Can you talk about that at all? Yeah, so um, I think Colin Trainer over at StatsBomb has the um, what, what I thought was sort of the, 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 the standard, you know, this, this is the state of the field article from, I, I think it was a year or two ago, um, did a very good job laying out just how, even with a ton of shots, because obviously keepers face way more shots than an individual player takes, even with a ton of shots and trying to model likelihood of saves, it takes a ton of data to start being confident that you're seeing a good goalkeeper. Um, I think that was, you know, the... Um, so you, you you still need... This is something that absolutely can be done with the data. We have the location of shots on target. Uh, Steve, uh, was it Stephen McCarthy, is that his name? 
I think. Um, I so. He he has uh, expected saves kind of model based on shots on target. These are absolutely things that can be, um, you know, are worth studying. Can show us things. But again, what we're going to find is like with play, like with player chance quality and like with player finishing. There's just a huge amount of noise in the data to work with. Um, you know, the difference between making a great save and letting a goal go in is is almost uh, it, it's it's almost a smaller physical margin than the margin between take putting a shot off the bar and putting a shot in the back of the net. All of these things are, you know, even great players will not quite do what they wanted to do a lot of the time. So another question that we got from Twitter was about sort of whether we could get sports view style ball tracking data uh, for football and secondly, what that would do for your uh, expected goals model. A few of the, the reasons why are because we can obviously then track sort of shot curvature and you know it might change things on whether keepers are better against shots that are you know uh, no movement on the ball versus curved free kicks, stuff like that. Like you said, it's probably, uh, you know, as soon as you have better data to a model, it's obviously going to give you more interesting outcomes. But would this be sort of like, alongside potentially positional data, one of the sort of bigger things that can really define what expected goals is? Yeah, that, 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 I, 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 that's an interesting question because it seems to me that, um, you know, trying to figure out how good players are based just on how, how well they convert the ch- measuring their chances and how well they convert their chances, you're, you, if, you, if you can add more specificity to your data that, that you know, player, the players are doing a better job of curving the ball at pace and they're doing a better job of hitting their spots um, with those shots, even if they're missing a little bit, I think that'll, that'll get you much more quickly a sense of how good a player is at finishing and how good a player is, you know, with the drug book question at finishing certain kinds of chances. I think that that would allow us to be able to do more with less data, more with a smaller sample of shots. I think that would be fantastic. One thing I also think about with um, ball tracking is that one of the real difficulties of from of people I've talked to on the club side who work with the um, with, with, with tracking data is that combining player tracking data and ball tracking data to create sort of a model of the game, the two tend not to, it, it's not always easy to sort of know where the ball is relative to a player as a player. And when they receive the ball, it's very important if a player is receiving the ball with his back to the goal or facing goal. It's very important if a player is being able to receive a pass easily into his feet or if he's having to reach back and kind of, you know, pigeon wing it forward or something like that. And so, being able to really know where the ball is with really, really perfect specificity is one of those things that once you're working with the sort of sport view style data and player tracking, that becomes really important for understanding what's going on. You know, if, if, if you just sort of have a general sense of where the ball is, you're going to be overrating and underrating certain opportunities um, in ways that, you know, call back to the problems we have with Opta-based XG. Now, one sort of final question I had to wrap it all up is that your most recent expected goals model was super, super comprehensive. We're getting very close into actually, like, I guess whatever we call the true model is. And I'm curious if you think it's time to sort of move on now. Like, have we are the marginal gains from improving an expected goals model probably less at this stage than they would be looking at something new or looking elsewhere? Or do you think there's still a lot we can, a lot of places we can go with just expected goals models? 
Well, um, I guess I would make a sort of distinction here between expected goals based on shots. I think that sort of the model of expected goals, thinking about how chances are created, I think that is a model that can take us a long way. Um, for me personally, I feel not in any way that I have you know, plumbed all of the depths of expected goals based on shots. I am very hopeful that there will be things published in the next month or two that make me go, oh, that's something I could improve this model with. Um, I, I don't in any way think that we are done. I don't think that we're that close to doing the best job with even the opt data that we can do. But for me personally, I've done this a lot. I put a lot into this model, and I'm really interested in trying to get moving onto another thing for myself and trying to work out, working on player quality, working on what makes a good midfielder, working on sort of evaluating teams based on their passing based on their defensive actions, based on you know incomplete passes against what happens when a team starts to counterattack against them. Where do they go? How how do they succeed? Working out a lot of these sort of a lot of this is very descriptive work, and th- that to me is where I want to go next. Um, I wouldn't want to uh, preclude uh, some smart analyst out there, and 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 she's thinking that she's got a great idea about expected goals based on shots. I I would not want to tell her that that's not what's what's good now i think there's a lot i think that there's still just so much to be done but at least for me personally i'm moving away from this i'm going to try to find some other things to work on next i think that's quite a nice uh place to finish on um anything you want to plug michael before we head off um, you know, you, 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 can, you can check out my new model uh, published publicly, and the, the reason it's there is for people to read it and critique it and think about it and hopefully use it. That's on this website, cartilagefreecaptain.com. You can find my writing at, um, uh, under Michael Cayley at worldsoccertalk.com, espnfc.com, Washington Post Fancy Stats, and uh, sbnation.com. So, uh, you know, check me out. Uh, Sam, anything else? Yeah, just one thing we wanted to say again is we're still looking for a sponsor if anyone's interested. Um, you can DM me or the Analytics FC account. Uh, we have a lot of listeners, so we can talk more about that. It's um, Yeah, so it costs money to do the show, and it would be really nice if we had people help us out. Yeah, last little thing on that. Uh, we checked iTunes yesterday, and we are in the top 100 of uh, professional sports podcasts. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and, and keep listening and sharing, subscribing. It's uh it's really great to see uh, how the podcast has grown and, you know, great for myself and Sam to speak to people like Michael. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Cool, guys. Thank you, Michael. It's been really cool. interesting. A lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. This is, this is, this is a great time. I'm, I'm, so, I'm, so, I was, I'm so happy to hear you guys are doing well. I think you're, you're doing really good work with this pod. So it's happy to be, happy to be on. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.